You're listening to the Pimp Cron Podcast. Welcome to episode 35 of the Pimp Cron Warhammer Podcast. As always, I am your host, Pimp Cron, and we will be joined by a host of different guest hosts for each segment. But you know what? That's actually a lie. For some reason, uh, it just so, you know, just so happens, it just so lines up that Just James is with me with nearly every single segment of the show. I'm not certain why, but uh, let's see what we have for tonight. We have an episode 35 of the Pimpcron Warhammer podcast in no particular order. We have a real talk, the differences between Age of Sigmar and 40k, and, you know, that sounds like a pretty blanket statement, but... Just James and I discuss at length about why they are different and why aren't they just the same game. And I'll just leave it at that. We also have a Tesseract mailbox about cheating on Battlescribe, and Just James joins me for that. We also have a Want That or Want That Not uh, discussing Mantic's uh, Not Dead Zone Warpath. Uh, Mantic's Warpath army called the Veermen, which is one of my favorite uh, armies that they have made for Warpath, and uh, that Just James is with me on that. Go figure. We also have a, well, here's an idea, and that's Taking Ground, and there's a specific mission that we've come up with that uh, I think is a really neat way to score, and it's a completely different than anything you've probably heard of. So Just James is also on there with me. And finally, we have a Gipperdle with a Pimpcron. Now, Just James is not on that one, but uh, Gipperdle with a Pimpcron, and we're going to continue our coverage of my Brutality Supplement number two, which is the Psychotropics. And that is, uh, we're actually specifically covering Headstone Beach tonight. But anyway, uh, what have I been up to? Um, I am still working on my super secret Pimpcron project, the. Uh, well, I'm not going to get into it, but I've been working on that and working on a ton of Shorehammer stuff. I've been mentioning the website lately. The tickets went on sale and we had a gangbuster week. Um, completely blew every single record out of the water. Um, this is our going to be our fourth year. And I am just so, so, so grateful to everybody that bought tickets and are supporting the, the, uh, the event and uh, we're going to have a blast. We're expanding a ton of our events. We, um, we've completely redesigned the whole floor plan of the entire convention. Uh, we, we're really, really going to step up our game this year. And it's very, very exciting. I'm certain we will have just as many awesome people as we had last year. Uh, well, actually, we have an extremely high return rate. Um, not 100%, but up words of 75% probably uh, return every year. And of course, we so far, you know, ticket sales have been at least 30% of ticket sales have been new people. So I am just ecstatic. We've got a ton of new faces coming. And uh, I've just been really most of my hobby time has been working on Shorehammer. Uh, we got the uh, website done just the, you know, last week in the nick of time. And uh, just changing orders and adding events and things like that. We ch we've added a uh, Age of Sigmar narrative event, which was new. We also added an Underworlds tournament, which is also new. 
And, um, you know, all of our tournaments are at least half full. The Age of Sigmar tournament, uh, the Grand Tournament, sold out in five days or six days. And we had to add uh, some more space and we added six more slots. And if that fills up, we're just going to add another event completely. Probably another Age of Sigmar tournament that's a different format. Um, so we've got... Uh, that's that's just a crazy amount. Anybody who has been to Shorehammer before is going to notice a marked difference this year in the look, the feel. Um, you know, we're still going to be friendly, casual, and all that. But um, as far as all of our decorations and all of our signage and our branding and all of that, you know, it's going to be uh, it's we're definitely going to class it up this year. So we've been having. I had a powwow with Bliggity Blam Steve and with Burbrew, my brother. And uh, we're talking about all the different signage and, and different things that we can do. And that is about it. I'm not going to drone any longer. So I will let you get to the podcast that you have pushed play on. As always, thank you for listening. Let's open the Tesseract mailbox. What time is it, Mr. James? It's time to read some mail. Mail. Uh, Tesseract Mailbox is what this segment's called. Do you not recall that? What? No, I don't... <laughs> you don't give stupid a shit names, you. I don't... <laughs> We're just reading mail. I don't give a shit about your stupid podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so today we have a letter from Merry Old England, and it's from a guy named Mike. And this person likes to write. He does. It's a very long email. It is. So let's see what Mike has to say. Hi, Pipcron. Just want to say I'm appalled and disgusted. Not by your beguiling behavior when it comes to cheating, but that you referred to Warhammer 40k as a toy. Do you not know this is war? In the 41st millennium, there is only war. This doesn't sound like child's play. Surely Lord Master Master Alex... Lord Master. He will definitely want us to start calling him Lord Master. <laughs> Would have corrected you on this during podcast recording edit. Is he away again gallivanting on German glass tables and neglecting his role as lore <laughs> auditor? Back to the topic of cheating, though. One more Drukari-esque and downright fiendish ploys that is well worth highlighting as people who simply bring more than the agreed amount of points, even unknowingly as something of... Su- even unknowingly, as sometimes the case. In the last few years, I've noticed more and more people relying solely on Battlescribe and other list-building tools for building, printing, and sharing their lists using the open-source Battlescribe files from... GitHub. GitHub. ETC, whatever that means. (laughs) It's one of those British words. ETC? I don't know what that is. Uh, This raises two interesting points. One, people assume that the guys that created the Battlescribe data files have got it right. And two, that apps don't lie, much like Shakira's hips. <laughs> I gotta tell you, I'm a big fan of Shakira. So, I got that reference. Who? Yeah, I know. She was a wrestler in the 80s. Go ahead. Uh, let me expand. <laughs> One, don't get me wrong. The people who created the Battlescribe files are wonderful people. Often fanboys, fangirls to the core. They are real warmongers, not toy gamers. <laughs> two exclamation points on that one. Yeah, that's two. He meant it. 
And it's also, you got to mention, it's bolded and underlined. Yes. <laughs> and have a genuine passion for the battle, not game. Once again, bold and underlined. They often have a good grasp of the rules and are pretty literate on how many army compositions work. But they are human. <laughs> this means that there are oft times when list building logic is incorrectly put in and this can result in people building illegitimate lists. People building illegitimate lists that don't flag as incorrect on these apps. And where people don't always reference the original codex rules, they sometimes miss this. This can relate to unit-specific rules, like how many special weapons a certain unit can take, or even how much points a given item slash weapon slash model costs. People can go into battle <laughs> believing that they are abiding by the rules of the 41st millennia's Geneva Convention, <laughs> when in fact they are taking long swords to a penknife fight. People assume that these lists slash data files are correct, but this isn't always true. Number two, if someone brings me a battle scribe list that they've printed, I'll believe it. If someone shows me a list on their phone, I'll believe it. If the number's taught up in the app, I'll believe it. I'm not an overly gullible person, but I'm also not overly skeptical. I don't question it, because why should I? And can I really be bothered to take their official printed codex and manually go through their list, totting up, totting it all up? Totting must be a British term for totaling. Yes. Totting, because this is the first time I've ever seen. I'm like totting. Yeah, like what? tater tots. Is he like throwing <laughs> all in the pan or something? I don't know. Um, I might check the total number of their printed list slash app, but that's about as far as my checks go. But what if? <laughs> What if she talked like this normally? <laughs> <laughs> but what if? What if someone were to repoint a dark glance from 15 points to two points cost in their battle scribe data file intentionally? Would I ever be wise to it? If the total still comes in under or equal to our agreed amount, then probably not. Don't get me wrong. If someone abused this hard and slotted in 2,000 points to a 1,000 points game, then a bit of common sense might show me that something was off. But if someone were to do a more subtle one points reduction on their troop models, then I may not notice. Can't read it. The screen went black. Yeah, sorry. They might craftily shave off a point here and a point there until kablam! <laughs> All their shuriken catapults are now shuriken cannons. All their heavy bolters are now heavy flamers. Nope. <laughs> that could have that could have a significant impact on the game in a way I might never see. Now I don't play in any official tournaments, only in local gaming circles, so forgive my ignorance. But would people pick up on this? What checks slash audits are done against submitted lists? This seems like a pretty easy way to do people. I'll just leave it at that. One to ponder though. Keep up the good work on the podcast. Looking forward to the next one. Best wishes. Justin from Alberta. Shit. No. Mike from the UK. <laughs> P.S. To be more specific, Mike from... Uh, Ewell? Ewell? <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah, he... West, Southwest London. And then he put underneath of it where Ewell is pronounced you, you, 
like the female sheep, then ul or yul. Yeah, you thought Worcester was odd? Worcester. (laughs) Worcester. So the county we live in is uh, Worcester County in Maryland, and we discussed it before in the the, uh, pronunciation episode where um, everyone gets Worcester wrong, and which of course is also, I believe, a British place as well. Yeah. Worcester, England. I've heard uh, the next county over Wicomico as Wicomico. Wicomico, yeah. Yep. Uh, so that is, so what is it? Yule? Yule. Where? Yule. Yule. Okay, it's E-W-E-L-L. Wow. Well, anyway, thank you for writing in, Mike. Uh, what do you have to say about this, James? I don't know. I was just reading it, so I have no idea what they're saying. Oh, he wasn't paying attention. Okay, so ba- <laughs> <laughs> So do you, do you emphatically trust Battlescribe? There is, sometimes it does feel like, um... It might not be correct, uh, but everybody uses it. So, because, um, I, th- you know, I don't think the same person works on every single, uh, data, uh, every single file, every army is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Because you'll notice there's different styles to each input selection stuff. True. So there, I do feel like it, um. The points it could be wrong in points, but they, I, you do get those updates where it's like, oh, well, it updates or whatever. So maybe they fi- figure it out and fix it. But you know, like he said though, um, well, we'll start with the unintentional, um, doing that, right? The unintentional cheating. So the unintentional cheating would be they accidentally did that in Battlescribe, you put it too low points or whatever, and then the person, the player, just uses Battlescribe and doesn't actually total them up himself. So he doesn't know, you know, whatever the new points are. Okay, I get that. But, uh, and that's, you know, you can forgive that, basically. But how much of it is our actual responsibility as a player to actually look up the points? Because then you get into an issue of, oh, well, my codex has one point, but then GW, chapter approved or whatever, changed the points to everything in my army. Every single unit got two-point reduction or whatever. So then you're like, okay, well, I've got a book, which I can't trust because it's outdated. So then I have to go to FAQs and try to find the points for everything, and then I have to go in and change it in my book, or somehow, and it would be a lot easier just to use Battlescribe, but did they put it in right? Did they use FAQs? Did they, is there a typo? Like, geez. Um, it's the Wild yeah. West. Yeah, it's a lot. I used to write it all down. Um, in your books? Well, yeah, I'd, I would write it, I still write it in the books. I still write, the, um, you know, the point changes in the books. Because uh, people say it degrades value, but guess what? When there's new codecs come out, guess what you do? Throw them in the trash. Yeah. Um, cause... Or hoard them like most of us do, but for no reason. Because they yeah. have no value. Yeah. What do you think of somebody that knows how to change the actual roster file? You know, the, the like the, the coding and everything to tweak points. That's pretty shitty. Oh, yeah, that would be a, a, a shithead move. But you could do it completely. I mean, there's no reason why you couldn't do it. And most of the tournaments, he's saying, how would anybody ever catch it? Most of the tournaments, when you when you um, submit your lists, most of them use Battlescribe or some other app like that. They're not sitting there with a pen and paper and manually adding every thing. Yeah. So, oh, they would catch that, though. They would catch the, the points description. True. Description. So the only way they wouldn't catch them is if it was an accident 
in the publicly used file. Yeah. So, and but in that if case, that's public, that's public, then everybody's making that mistake. Yes. So actually, I guess you would catch them if you actually edited your own stuff because yeah. most people use Battlescribe. Um, um, although, like I said before, you know the the points, but like in a tournament, you you can't prove the points are wrong. Like if you're a player, oh, what if they just brought a different list <laughs> to a tournament, a slightly different list, same points and everything, but you know, some different equipment here or there, it would be hard. Like, they give the tournament organizer one list, but then they've got a fake list. The only way it would be found out is, like, if they won the tournament, if the tournament organizer looks at the list they were carrying, who's going to check that? Yeah. You know what I mean? As long as the list that was submitted checks out. Yeah. Like, that would be... Uh, a couple of tournaments that I went to... Um... Yeah, people could bring the different models to the tournament. Yeah. <laughs> and just give just give them a list for something else. Oh man, that's what you do. Here here's a All right, this has turned into a, a thing of cheating now. <laughs> all right, here's what you do. You take Dark Eldar specifically cuz they've got a lot of models that look the same. You take Dark Eldar specifically and you submit a list to the TO of whatever you want. Let's say it's a bunch of uh splinter cannons, right? Because uh-huh. it's anti-infantry. You're doing anti-infantry. Yeah. Splinter cannons. Then you pull up to your uh, to your table and you see your opponent is playing all guard and tanks. <laughs> and you pull out, instead of the splinter cannons, you pull out the dark lances and you give him the list with the dark lances going, here it is. Yeah. And he'd have no idea. Yeah. Oh, that's how you do it. Yeah. So what what a complex way to be, a, be an asshole. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, honestly, if, like I said, if, you, if you're that, that big of a piece of garbage that you got to win that bad, then have at it like whatever um most people that have a life and are adults don't really they can't be bothered to like nitpick your entire list right you know um so and actually in one of the tournaments i did um i uh actually the one that we did as a team i made an error on my list and didn't even realize it because my lich guard the swords and boards are the same points as the war scythe and it automatically comes up as war scythes on battle scribe and I forgot to switch it to Swords and Boards, but I don't even own Warsight models. Yeah. So one of our opponents was like, it says you got Warsights here. And I'm like, well, I've never even owned a Lich Guard Warsight. I didn't realize that I had not selected the second button. So. And the, the points are the same. Yeah, they're the same. So. Actually, he was the cheater guy. He was like, oh, it says that you got Warsight. I'm like, well, I don't. So. He was the cheater guy. We said, see you later, guy. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, you're such a huge Avril Lavigne <laughs> fan. <laughs> I like Nickelback. You like Avril Lavigne. We're such a great couple. So, all right. Well, thank you for writing in, Michael. And uh, that's about it. You got anything else to add? Um, yeah, one more thing. Uh, bye. Bye. Want that or want that not? This is another segment of the Want That or Want That Not. It is the Pimpcron, and it is the Just James. It's Just James, y'all. Yep. So today, we wanted to break format a little bit, and uh, we wanted to discuss Want That or Want That Not, our favorite porn stars. No, no, it's not. We don't have favorite porn stars. We love them all. Sunny Lane. (laughs) I don't know who that is, but uh, I agree. I don't know who that is. All right. (laughs) So, uh, 
<laughs> Kevin James. That's my favorite. Because <laughs> uh, was the woman James Jenna Jameson? She's not a Je- porn star. Jenna Jameson. Yeah, she retired, but yeah, she, she is. Okay. Yeah. Because because I was like James Jameson, Kevin James. <laughs> Uh, for those of you who don't know, that's a uh, King of Queens guy and uh, pa- uh, Paul Blart Mall Cop. So, uh, yeah, it's star of the blockbuster hit Paul Blart Mall Cop one through six. All right, today we wanted to discuss Mantic's uh, Mantic's version of 40k is called Warpath, and they have a couple key armies that they they have. Um, they have like a Space Marines analogous army. They have a um, basically a squats, which are called Forge Fathers, which I use for my Space Wolf squats and whatever. But one of the truly interesting and unique armies that they have for Warpath is the Veermen. So what would you say the Veermen are exactly, just James? They are rat people. They're rat people. In space. 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 So their main, their main people, if you were to get the, what always astounds me though, is that the prices are so much cheaper than GW for Mantic. Yeah. Now you and I were looking through these and it doesn't look like some of the models, it looks like the detail is not quite there. Yes. Yeah. Um, so if you were to buy the faction starter set, right, it comes with a bunch of people, it comes with 21 models and it's only 25 pounds. Like that's, and, and by 25, 21 models, I'm talking about, it comes with like a, a full thing of, um what 20 troops basically probably 19 troops and an hq maybe somewhere in there and then four big ogren looking rats and these are basically rats as imperial guard and rats in space marine armor yes basically what it looks like um so what is what would be your favorite unit that we've seen on this list here um i kind of like that brood mother oh i like the brood mother now i don't know what she does in game I, I don't know either, but she Describe looks her. like you could use her as a and uh, Chaos Space Marine because uh, she's got like this wicked looking claw. She's got this staff that looks like um got like a claw on the end of it. Mm-hmm. Kind of look, looks like a war scythe uh, from Necrons. And then she's like this big bloated uh, brood mother with like armor all over her. She's got like an she's got like an access panel on her belly. And if they call her the bird mother, does she just open that and babies come out? Like, <laughs> Probably. Ooh, that's kind of gross. Um, but it's a pretty cool looking model, and for ten pounds, that's pretty darn cheap for an HQ. Yeah. Um, sure is. If your if your pick for the Veerman is the bird mother, then mine would have to be these doom wheel looking things called tunnel runners. And you get three of these things for twenty five pounds, which I find to be an outrageously low price. Um, now they don't look to be quite as big as your doom wheel from Skaven, right? Yeah, they look a little bit smaller, but they're bigger than like a motorcycle. Yes, and they are on a dreadnought size base on a sixty mil. <laughs> so, um, and this is um, have you ever seen uh, what was his name? Big Wheel. He was like a F level superhero villain from Spider Man, and he was riding in the middle of this giant mechanized wheel. Ah. Uh, <clears throat> uh, so anyway, these Veermen are, um, they're inside one of those, um, single wheeled motorcycles with the, like you're sitting in the wheel and they've got a blade out front. They've got guns on the side. And you know, most of the Veermen stuff I actually like, 
But this just really speaks to me. I would freaking love... Um, I'd have to see them in person, but this really... These Doom Wheels, or whatever they're called, Tunnel Runnels, really give me uh, uh, excitement to start some new army. I can see that. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's not it's not very impressive, but you can see my excitement. All right. Uh, what about the Nightmares? The Nightmares, they look like um, Rat Ogres. They also These are the guys They also come in that one box set that we were first looking at. Mm-hmm. Um, so they look like rat ogres with uh, armor on them. Uh, it's the same for the uh, rest of the army. Mm-hmm. And they've got a bunch of drills attached to them. I think one of them has a gun. Mm-hmm. So they could easily be used as um, bullgrins, ogrins. Yeah, bullgrins, ogrins, they look definitely that same size. They're quite large. I mean, technically, do you think you could somehow make them work for um, the uh, rat ogres in Skaven? Um, you, I mean, you could. Uh, They're not too sci-fi. No, you can. Yeah, you just make it look like a uh, rusty metal plating, but they don't. The rat ogres don't have a great save, you know. Oh, and these are pretty heavily armored. Yes. Yeah, so they should be, you know, that four-up save that most armored stuff has in uh, Age of Sigmar. Okay. Well, um, that is, I mean, they have this pretty sweet-looking drill that we were looking at, the Tunneler. I'm not a fan of it. Not a fan of it? No. Maybe uh. if they got those drills on the sides, if they got rid of that. Honestly. And just put a big drill on the front. That's exactly what I was thinking about. I was thinking about, I would like to rip off those three drills and rip off that center spike thing and put one of those drills in the center. Yeah. And make it look... Then it would look almost exactly like the thing that Shredder and Krang used to use in the Ninja Turtles. Yeah. Where they, they t- just, out of nowhere, they'd tunnel right out of the ground and, and hop out. Uh, I don't know what that was called, but um, yeah, this actually... This thing's actually pretty large. It's only 25 pounds, like, compared to those guys. See right there? Like, it's that's yeah. a pretty decent-sized vehicle. Um. Now, you know, this is really making me, uh, I can't think of one single army that I could make this whole army out of, but I was thinking that you could um, ally a bunch of different armies. I mean, obviously not for tournament play, but you could make those things Bulgren, you could make these, that, and you just couldn't affect each other with abilities or whatever, but um, it's going to go back all the way to my uh, my Tau army that I started <laughs> making. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which I ended up canceling, but... I did want to try uh, making Skaven in, in 40k because uh, I like the Skaven, but someone else in our group is already doing that, so I decided against it. Oh, look at this too. The the Tunneler Transport section upgrade. What is that? That says larger Tunnelers are co- complete with transport compartments filled to bursting with a mass of Veerman bodies or heavy mechanical, I mean, heavy chemical weapons. That's pretty cool. Um, I don't know, man. Sometimes I really, f- I would like to try Mantic games sometimes, but uh, you know how it is. Oh, and look, they actually don't have the spike. No. I actually like it look better that way with the three drills close to each other. Yeah, that could work. Yeah. But look, it's like an extension that you add onto it. That's, yeah. That's pretty cool. I like this a lot. Um, but the only thing is I've noticed a lot of things with Mantic is they have small unit selection. They don't have that many. They have like guardsmen like guys. They've got the, the Ogren Bulgren. They get a couple HQs. Um, oh, they've got a, 
um, those wheel things we talked about, they've got the transport, you know, but it's not like a fully fleshed out army. Yeah, but this isn't Gaines Workshop, so I don't, they're probably not having a lot of uh, customers coming to to them. So. In comparison, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Mantic is number two, I believe, the, the biggest, the second biggest. Um, but look at this one. This one, I love this for some weird reason. It's called the Vermintangle. And it's like this big, how would you describe it? Like a bed? Uh, yeah, like a rat nest, kind of. There's like rat, uh, medium-sized rats like laying on a, some kind of blanket, blanket that's on top of like a metal piece of <laughs> some giant slab of metal with like tiny rats underneath of it i guess and i guess maybe they're maybe they're moving it somehow or oh, maybe it's they're like a crawling point. yeah they're crawling underneath of it and then there's another guy in, in full armor and a, and a staff just standing above the other ones man i want to know so bad exactly what this does um the Veermen fear and worship the Tangles in equal measure. Possessed of potent psychic abilities, these strange beings can turn the tide of a battle or spell doom for the nest. That's pretty cool. That's got some serious conversion options for it. Like, I, I would... I it's, don't... It says it's part resin and part metal. Ugh. God. Man, Tick, you're still doing this. Part resin, part metal. But guess what? It's only 20 pounds. Still really cheap. Yeah. Um... Man, I don't know. This is this is getting me all worked up, James. You see me sweating? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, anyway, ultimately, would you want that or want that not for this army, assuming you would play the game or you'd use it in 40K or whatever? Do you overall, do you like the look of this army? Uh, yes, I, I like it. I would want that. I, th I think I would want that, too. Um, A couple things are a little less inspired, but overall, I think the Veermen are very unique. And they could be play as for several different armies, and I think they're pretty cool looking overall. Also, yeah, if you uh, merge in uh, Skaven as well, yeah, that would help too. Oh, oh, yeah, I didn't even think about that. Stupid me, but you're right. All the Skaven options, the different units for that, and this to make a 40k army would be pretty cool. Yeah. So, all right then. Then that is a want that for both of us for the Mantic Warpath Veermen army. Thanks for being on. You're welcome. <laughs> now, here's an idea. Well, it's time for, well, here's an idea with the Pimpcron, and today I am joined by my human ventriloquist. I am Just James. <laughs> I had my hand in his butt when he said that. <laughs> yeah, actually, no, he's a ventriloquist, so you got your hand in my butt, right? We got our hands in both of our butts. <laughs> We are both the dummy and the ventriloquist. <laughs> anyway, uh, you had an idea for, uh, uh, here's an idea, and what was that? Well, here's an idea. Uh, <laughs> hold on. So, I had, came up with this mission where you have to have the most amount of models in each quarter of the board. Well, not exactly most amount of models, just a uh, unit. Uh, if you have a unit in each of the uh, quarter of the board that you're playing on, you score a point, and not including your own deployment zone, uh, you uh, you get a point for each uh, unit that's within the quarter of the uh, the board. So when you say quarter, 
You're not meaning like four corners. You're talking what? What do you mean quarters? How would you cut it? So, um, if you're playing 40k, so you're playing Dawn of War style. So, uh, your your deployment zone is the long length the long length of the board. Mm-hmm. So for every 12 inches, that would give you a point for being for having a unit inside of that 12 inches. Okay, so you would you would not count your own deployment zone, but if you had let's say a unit between your deployment zone and the center of the board, that would be like the second quarter of the board, you'd get a point. Yes. And then if it was in the next quarter, which is between the enemy's deployment zone and the center, that would be two points. That yeah, for each yeah, when you have units in those 12 inches, each 12 inch you would get a point for that. Okay. And then at the end of the game, if there are no enemy models in that same 12 inches, even including your own, you would score D3 points. Including your deployment? Yes. Okay. So at the end of each turn, let me just make sure this is completely clear. You would cut, you would slice up the board going from your table edge to your opponent's table edge. You'd cut it, you know, um, left side to right side all the way across. So it'd be... The first foot would be your deployment zone if you're doing Dawn of War. Then the second foot would be to the table ed- the table center. Then the third one would be from the table center to their deployment. And the fourth one would be in their deployment. Correct. Okay. And at the end of each turn, each unit that was wholly in one of those groups, ignoring your deployment, one of those bands, those 12-inch bands, would get you a victory point. But they get more victory points as they get deeper into the board towards your enemy's deployment. That's you could do it that way as well. I was thinking just one point. One point? Just one point. Okay, so they would all so if I'm in the enemy's deployment zone I get a point, and if it's if I'm just outside of my own deployment zone, I get a point? Yes. Okay. And then at the end of the game, if there are no enemy models within that band, you would get a D th- extra D three point. If you completely controlled that band, yeah. Right. Okay, that makes sense. And we wouldn't be using objectives or kill points or anything like that. No. Okay, well, this actually seems a little more realistic compared to what we normally do in missions for 40K because, you know, a lot of battles, especially like World War One, was all about gaining ground. Yeah. You know, they had that no man's land and they were trying to push the battle lines this way or that way. So this actually is a pretty neat idea. One thing that I might want to suggest, and this is just a variation on that, would be that you could do, like, at the, at the end of each turn, you measure from your table edge, like your deployment zone table edge, um, straight out to the unit, to each unit. And they would get one point for each 12 inches that they were out, complete 12 inches. So let's say if they were 30 inches away from your table edge, that would be two complete feet, and they'd get two victory points. Or if they were just just outside your deployment edge, they would be, let's say, 14 inches from your deployment edge. Um, they would only get one victory point because it would be your deployment zone is 12 inches. In my variation, you would be counting your deployment zone. Okay. But And then you could still do the same thing at the end of yours, the whole those 12-inch bands. If you completely control that, then you'd get the D3. Um, can you think of any other variations? Um, another variation would be each one of your units that are is past the middle of the board edge, you would get points for that. 
so you could do like one point each right at the end of each turn that's kind of cool too so there's obviously several different ways to do this um but i really like it anytime that i run across a new type of mission that doesn't involve objectives and doesn't involve kill points it's always very exciting and um, i definitely want to use this actually i think it would be neat yeah i would like to actually play it instead of just talking about it sometime (laughs) (laughs) well if anybody is open to uh experimenting with roles it's it's you usually i can always get you to try a new mission or try you know something like that a lot of people only like to do missions like oh straight from the rule book you get a roll from the rule book you can't do anything different yeah so um yeah we should definitely next time we play we should definitely do this whether it's age of sigmar you know this would work for age of sigmar or work for 40k any any kind of game really yeah really um actually even brutality hmm i don't know why you wouldn't do that (laughs) uh brutality is a little game nobody's ever heard of that listens to this podcast because i'm not mentioning it like every 25 seconds no so uh but honestly yeah you're 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 my friend and this is the first time i've heard of it (laughs) <laughs> brutality what is that <laughs> um but uh i also like this idea because you cut it into uh quarters and that would really make that work for any deployment zone type dawn of war or all the other ones i never remember their names like long ways and caddy corner <laughs> correct um you kind of there's only certain uh type of deployments you could do for this because in 40K, they have, like, that one that uh, oh, comes to a point in the middle. One. Hate that one. You can do that long ways as well. So you would have to play it where it's a straight, flat line. You're right. Over. And then, like, if you're doing corners, that's kind of hard to do. Unless, I mean, it's up to your opponent as well if you want to actually do it that way. But, also, the variation where we said just pass the middle part, that's the easiest. Yeah, that would be the easiest to do with those types of... Yeah. So, all in all, I think you've actually came up with a great idea. I'm really excited about playing this. Thank you, kind lady. <laughs> all right, bye. Now it's time for Real Talk with Pimp Cron. So today, it's the Pimp Cron, and I have my dear friend... James of the Just. <laughs> James of the... Justice James. Uh, what were you at Shorehammer, Judge James? Judge James. I yeah. am the law. Yeah, that's right. Um, and uh, we want to discuss a couple things about Age of Sigmar and 40K and why exactly are they different. Now, I know they're two different games, clearly, and Warhammer Fantasy Battle used to be a lot different than Age of Sigmar, I mean, um, 40K. But now they're slowly becoming closer and closer. Almost you need to like just tweak a little bit, like like the toughness on the wounding, and then you got the same game. It is practically the same game. And honestly, I almost feel like if they would make them the exact same game and had them on the same uh, level, then they might actually sell more armies. Possible. Because then you could be like, oh, here's my Skaven. These are spacefaring Skaven, and I'm going to fight your space marines. Like if it was all treated as one game. But as I've said before um, to other people that I brought this up with, is that uh, uh, 40K will definitely win because... They've got the shooting. All the shooting. Uh, well, that's true. Yeah, that's definitely true. Although Age of Sigmar has numbers. They're, almost all their armies are swarm. Yeah. So I don't know how that would work out. But why? Well, so, first of all, let's. these games are about 70% the same. But there are some key differences. We'll just go over them very briefly off the top of our head. So number one, obviously, the initiative role for Age of Sigmar is, I think, number one, stupid. 
And number two, <laughs> and number two, uh, it's I don't see it's necessary, but whatever. Yeah, it's it's a bit annoying, uh, especially when you you have this plan for the next turn, but then you realize you have to do the roll off. Yeah, and uh, I mean we we still play with the roll off, but I just don't care for it. I almost feel like it should be much harder to get. Like you know, it's like I go, you go, I go, you go. But at the beginning of each turn, like if the second person that goes rolls a six or something then they take the initiative you know what i mean like it's it's not likely that it's going to change yeah but it might change um versus it's almost a 50 50 at this point yeah so i'm happy they don't do that in 40k what's another difference between the two um so when uh, in age of sigmar you have to pay for um battle what are they called a uh, war scroll battalion war scroll battalion you have to pay for them um but in 40k, I mean, they don't really... I guess they're starting to do that now. Yeah, they are. With the Vigilist stuff or, or whatever. Uh, but that's usually... Uh, that's command points, so I guess that's that's paying for the them as well. But... um, In a way, but it's not coming out of your army list, you know? But you still have to make sure you have the right amount of command points, especially for people who play four command points, who make their list four command points. Yeah. But, um... Yeah, actually, I've never been super thrilled with any of the War Scroll Battalions in Age of Sigmar. I don't see how they're so great I should pay points for them. The, yeah, there's a couple of them uh, uh, that haven't impressed me. Like, why would I even bother paying points for this? Yeah, and then they have the unit requirements. Okay, so I get having unit requirements for a 40k one that you don't actually pay points for. Like, you got to take, you know, one of this squad, one of that squad whatever you know you have requirements to fill it out mm -hmm. because you're not actually paying points for it right but age of sigmar you pay points for it and it has unit requirements yeah it's like double oppressive or like the iron jaws their their fist or brawl or whatever it's called you have to pay for, for the um for the big uh what it is it's several of those war scroll battalions you have oh. to pay for them and then you have to pay for that whole thing overall oh my gosh you feel like the aggregate number of points that you paid for those battalions would just pay for the whole big one. Yeah. Yeah, that's stupid. Um, what else? Shooting into combat is a big deal for H of Sigmar versus 40k. Uh, yes, everybody could shoot into combat in Age of Sigmar, but as in 40k, uh, only pistols can do that. Or if you have some kind of command point uh, special thing. Oh, like Space Wolves, yeah. Space Wolves. The True Grit and all that, yeah. Um, so shooting into combat, I actually don't I don't care for that part of Age of Sigmar. I mean, I accept it. That's part of the rules, blah, blah, blah. But it doesn't quite feel right. Like, you can shoot into close combat. You can tie up a unit, and you're not even keeping them out of shooting range. Now, of course, Age of Sigmar has less shooting overall. Yeah. So it's, I guess it's not as big of a deal as it would be in 40K. But part of the reason why you get people in melee in 40K is to hide them from shooting. Right. You know? Yeah. And then you've got the whole thing, your opponent, if they really want to shoot you, then they can retreat or whatever, but they take penalties for that. Age of Sigmar is like, oh, we don't care. You're in combat? Shoot them. You're not? Shoot them. We don't care. Yeah. Like, you know. Um, at least they changed it to that the people that are in combat can't shoot outside of combat. They can only shoot at the closest unit. Yeah, that's. I think that's a step in the right direction. Um, what else do they have in Age of Sigmar or in 40k that the other one doesn't? Um, the, the terrain pieces. So in Age of Sigmar, they are free and the, in 40k, you actually have to pay points for them. 
That's so all of them are free in Age of Sigmar. As far as I know, all the ones that I've seen, like the gnaw holes, the the uh, uh, the forest for the Sylvanith, the the ship for um, uh, uh, Deepkin, they're all zero points. So, can you take as many as you want? No, nah, you can only take one. And then they have abilities. I, um, like I know the Sylvanith has abilities that bring more. Yeah, you can bring more. Uh, the <clears throat> the gnaw holes for the Skaven. Uh, it says. Uh, one you can only take one, but then and when you put them down, it says you get three of them. So, I guess it's just a you don't have three, even though it says it's confusing. Whatever. So another thing would be that um they have what is it arcane bolt arcane bolt for uh, in age of sigmar, age of sigmar. and then smite in forty k. They are both very similar, but they're both very different. So forty k is the closest unit, and it's d three unless you roll high, right? Right. Unless you're Grey Knights. <laughs> and then uh, Arcane Bolt is just one mortal wound now. And th- that can target anybody? not no- Anybody within the range. It doesn't have to be the closest one. Okay, so once again, why? It's essentially the exact same power. and didn't same, it- same cost, too. Five. Age of Sigmar used to be D3, didn't it? It used to be in first edition. Yeah, Age of Sigmar 2, they changed it to just one. I guess it was being spammed. But um, actually, you can't spam that. In Age of Sigmar, I don't think any spells can be spammed. Uh, for the Skaven, um, they have their one, uh, the Warp, Warlock Engineers, Warplock Bombardiers. That's the only power they know, but each one can do that, cast that same power. Oh, okay. Well, you know, like, Smite can be done each time more than once. I don't think Arcane Bolt can be done more than once. Uh, as far as I know, I don't think so. And you know what I really miss is when I saw them doing Age of Sigmar, the whole uh, Mystic Shield thing, I was like, oh man, I hope they do that for 40k. Give everybody a generic save buffing spell. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, I think Imperial Guard has one, but other than that, most others don't. Uh, Yeah, I can't recall any that are like that. Yeah, so the only, am I crazy, but the only power in, in 40k that's common is Smite. There's no other power. Uh... Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so I really wish they would give them a defensive power, but it doesn't really matter. That's neither here nor there. Um, so also the activation in combat, in melee. Yeah, so when, yeah, you charge in, and in 40k, you charge in, all the chargers go first. In Age of Sigmar, you you get to choose one unit to go first, and then you go back and forth. Which one do you like better? I I like 40k better. I think so too. Although the Age of Sigmar one's a little more, little more fair that you get to take turns. Yeah, but then you have this whole plan. Oh, I'll just get everybody in there. <laughs> yeah, and then I could do as much damage before they could do, uh, attack me back. Whereas in Age of Sigmar, I have to choose which one I want to do first, and then hopefully the one that, the next one that I want to do damage with doesn't die. Yeah, I definitely like 40k better, but I guess I'm on the fence about that one, honestly. I mean, I like it. I like both ways. I think Age of Sigmar is more balanced, but 40k. Also, you feel like the chargers would go first. They're slamming into the enemies. Right. You know, but so anyway, it's it's very obvious. And um, just the mechanics thing, obviously, Age of Sigmar has a set to hit and to wound, where 40k does not have a set to wound. No. So yeah, you strengthen toughness. And yeah. honestly, I don't even know how I feel about that. Also... Uh, Age of Sigmar, you count the number of wounds the monster has taken, whereas in 40k, you take the wounds 
that it has left. Yes, that's weird. <laughs> it's just weird. I don't know. It's like they intentionally try to do things a little different, and I yeah. don't know why why they would do that. Also, uh, wounds spill over in Age of Sigmar. They don't in 40K. That is true, yeah. Where I, I definitely think 40K would be much more potent if you're Laz Cannon or uh, your Power uh, Fist. Yes, that yeah. is true. Um, but then again, Age of Sigmar ha- tends to have more hordes, so you do need that damage to spill over or you'd never kill anybody. Right. So... Um, so honestly, do you feel like they should just switch to, to the same system more or less or what? Uh, yeah, I think so because people that play both of them, like you and I get the rules mixed. Yep. Uh, and the three inches, you gotta stay three inches away from the enemy in, in Age of Sigmar mm-hmm. where you have to stay an inch away in 40k. <laughs> Sometimes you get that all mixed up. Or piling in and consolidating, you get that mixed up. Yep. Or what about you have to be with you have to end your charge within a half inch or end your charge within an inch? Good God. Yeah. <laughs> like why? Why is it different? Just choose one. Yeah. So I mean, we're not really complaining because we both like Age of Sigmar and 40k, but it's just weird. They're, they're the same company. They're very similar rules. They're the most compatible they've ever been compared to fantasy battles and 40k in the past. Yes. So why not just? Why not just make it the same thing? Um, you know, and they talk about Age of Sigmar supposedly being the gateway drug to 40K. Like, it's easier to learn and things like that. Yeah, I would suggest doing uh, playing that for someone that's starting out and then jumping over to 40K. Yeah, and I everyone tends to believe that that's the way it was designed, is to be the, the you know, the, the, intro, the intro to Warhammer. But, I mean, I don't know. It's just... It seems like you could still do that same thing and then be the same system, but I don't know. Um, what about now from a game design standpoint, I can definitely see that um, having set to hit and wound stats is much more easy to balance because, you know, you're always going to wound. You can really math hammer it. Yeah. Whereas 40K from a design standpoint, how on earth do they cost something point cost something that is, let's say, strength five? They could say that, oh, most units are strength four, or toughness four or whatever, but they can't really say that for sure because they don't know what your scenario is. So let's say my heavy bolters versus you taking all Necrons with tough five. You've got you've got Wraiths, you've got uh, Lich Guard, you've got uh, Tomb Blade, you've got all that. My heavy bolters are not worth the same against that versus worth the same against Space Marines or Tau or anything toughness four or less. So it's like, how do you set a, a set point cost on something that has a variable value depending on what it's going against? So Age of Sigmar, if you know you always wound on a three, well, then it's very it's much easier to balance the points because, oh, it's guaranteed wounding on 66%. Like, you know it. Versus, oh, well, okay, against toughness four or less, it's wounded on 66%, but tough five will only be wounding on 40%, uh, 50%, and then, oh, well, if it's higher than five, then it's a 33%. Like, it's it's too variable. It doesn't... Yeah. So I think that's why they tweak the points all the time, is because, you know, they listen to the feedback of people, and I appreciate them listening to that, but it's it's almost like they, they pick the points they think it should be, and then in practice, how does it actually work? And that's why they change the points, you know? But, um, so I think Age of Sigmar is much easier to balance. Um, I'm glad they did bring over the bravery mechanic from Age of Sigmar over to 40k 8th. Yeah, I like that too. That was so much more complicated. You remember? 
where you had you if you failed you both took leadership regardless in previous editions of 40k if you lost any wounds Uh any models and then you know whoever beat it and then you had the initiative role to see if you caught them and how many times did you have one model murder like 10 people (laughs) because he caught them when they fled like yeah like in a way that's kind of epic but yeah uh, it's it's got a nice image in your head of this guy just go <laughs> just going crazy and murdering all these people. Run away! It's one guy. <laughs> yeah. So, um, ultimately, I think that's. Uh, do you have anything else to say about the forty k and Age of Sigmar differences? Um, I think I've. I think that's all I can think of. For uh, Age of Sigmar, definitely has more monsters. Pretty much every army has monsters. Yes, that's true. Whereas forty k, I guess their version of monsters would be vehicles. Yeah, because Age of Sigmar hardly has any vehicles, but they're essentially monsters. So, um, well, uh, I guess the point of saying this is that they're so similar, but so different in key ways. Why is it not the same game? And honestly, I feel like they should just make it the same. Make 40k more like Age of Sigmar or make Age of Sigmar more like 40k and right. be done with it. And even even if they left some differences in the in the rules, like the whole half inch or inch from charging dude just make that the same thing like that's so or like smite and um arcane bolt make it the same thing i don't care which way you go with it just make it the same thing like there should be some things in it that are the same but yeah smite definitely needs to be one mortal wound oh then gray knight players by default would be better yeah because then they'd be on level with everyone else yep so or just don't make it spammable you know you can do one arcane uh you can do one smite at d3 and that's it that's it yeah anyway thanks for being on mr james no problem and um this was our wine session (laughs) bye let's get brutal hey everybody it's time for let's get brutal with the pimpcron where we cover my 28 millimeter skirmish war game that is free rules and use your own models we are continuing our coverage of the supplement book number two, the Psychotropics, and we are in the midst of covering the Headstone Beach, which is the southern region of the Psychotropics. The Headstone Beach lies at the south edge of the Psychotropics and is an enigma to all who see it. Along the rolling shores tower several gigantic single pieces of slate. And they're engraved with countless words in some forgotten language that nobody seems to understand. They are neatly arranged in four columns on each slate. The names they are, I mean. The names are neatly arranged in four columns on each slate, and nobody has ever seen anyone carving new words into it, despite the fact that the rows of words keep growing. Many have claimed that words have been added as they were looking, but none of these claims have been substantiated. The most popular guess about these massive monoliths is that it is a recorded list of all who inhabit this terrible realm. As new people are snatched up from their home dimensions, the list grows longer. Others claim that there may be a sort of timekeeping on these slates, like a sand and hourglass instead of a list of words. If this really is rows of residence names, then Ishtar's list of victims is terrifying and growing by the month. There is one aspect of the region that cannot be ignored. It acts as an immense magnifier for magic and has dire consequences for those who try to capitalize on it. 
Many a magic-wielding denizen has felt their powers turn godly for a short time, right before their body is overcome and they explode. As with most things in this strange place, questions can only be answered with guesses. It can only be assumed that these mysterious tablets have something to do with this effect on sorceress casters. As far as the residents of Headstone Beach... Headstone Beach has no real inhabitants of its own, but there is a town just north of it that makes daily burnt offerings at the feet of these headstones. The people there tend to scare away outsiders, and there are very little known about these people other than their name is The Faithful. They wave a flag with a strange symbol on it, and their ranks consist of a wide variety of races. What their goals and background are is anyone's guess. Though not part of the strange towered beach, the extremely wealthy and treacherous Port Zaytek lies just to the east. It is one of the busiest and richest port cities in all of the Aether Realm if you have the fortitude to enter. The entire city is encased inside a large stone structure, and the city is ever-expanding downward into the ground like a gargantuan hive. A melting pot of species and cultures, this city is home to outposts of nearly every single major faction in this world, and treachery lurks around every cramped corner. Never before has such a volatile mix of conflicting schemes and loyalties been housed under one roof. Among many others, this port is one of the largest Efren's consortium hubs for transporting their wide range of products to be shipped around the realm. So, what I really... Uh, I'm, I'm going to stop off there, and we're going to hit the flora and fauna next week, but... um. I really like Headstone Beach. It's very weird. I like big landmarks that nobody really knows how or why they came to be, or why they're there at all, or how they change. New words, at least, maybe not names, but new words, at least, uh, keep showing up all the time, and nobody knows exactly why. Some people claim they've seen it, other people don't believe it, yada yada, but they, uh, I just like how Ishtar has her own way of doing things and her own reason for doing things. I'm certain these headstone beaches serve some sort of purpose. And the faithful constantly put burnt offerings at the bottom of these tombstones. So is there something buried under these? Are these some sort of gods that she's killed and buried under these headstones? Or, you know, what exactly is it? There's something there. Um, it could just be the material of the headstones. But uh, Ishtar does not usually tell people exactly what she is doing or why she does it. And that's one of the things I like about her. She seems very cavalier and very like, well, I'm the god, so shut up and deal with it. I like that attitude of hers. That's all I'm going to cover this week. So I appreciate you guys listening as always. Thank you so much to all of my Patreon members and uh, who help support the show. If you would like to support the show, please join us on Patreon. You will be getting sneak peeks and snippets of my super secret Pimpcron uh, project I've been working on. And um, they they get missions out of that book and they get roll tables and things like that every month. And I think that's about it. So we will see you next Monday. And as always, thank you so much for listening to the Pimpcron Warhammer podcast.